This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 57, Sick Transit Veer. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to everyone who is along for the ride with us as we continue our rewatch of the science fiction show Babylon 5. We are now officially past the halfway point of season three. Guys, we're, we're halfway through. It's all downhill oh from here. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, shush. You shush, shush, shush. It is not all downhill from here, but yeah, it is actually, yeah, we are, we are halfway through uh, what we started. Man, so. we're only six episodes away from the Farscape crossover. <laughs> <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> I'd be off this podcast so fast my chair would smoke. <laughs> Having not even watched Farscape, I, I have no opinion one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> You're Switzerland. Yes. Well, three, and don't forget three episodes into season four of Ultron. Okay, I'd be back for that. <laughs> okay. So, stop taunting, like, stop teasing our, our, our poor fans who are listening for the first time and loving <laughs> Babylon 5. And, like, they're either getting really excited or really upset, and they're either going to be really disappointed or really relieved. New <laughs> listeners, I apologize for taunting you. Voltron will not actually appear in season four. <laughs> season five, on the other hand. Oh, uh, Well... Anyway, we'll get there when we get there. Um, but in the meantime, we have the episode uh, Sick Transit Veer, which was originally ahead of a late delivery from Avalon um, in the airing order because they saw an opportunity to put Michael York in as the beginning of uh, Sweeps Week at the time. So, ah. Yeah. Well um, played, Babylon 5. Well yeah. played. But we are following the master list uh, as listed by the Lurker's Guide to Babylon 5. And they have a late delivery and then sick transit veer uh, before getting into another wave of various action and arc-based things. This one, uh, I, th- <laughs> I think we all sort of agree this one is essentially something of a light episode. Yeah, you can say Maybe. that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, any general opinions to offer before we get into synopses and pulling it apart? I like Stephen First. I like Veer. I love that, epi- that this episode pays a lot of attention to him. Yeah, Beyond have- that, <laughs> we have stuff to talk about, I guess. I have such mixed feelings about this episode <laughs> that, yeah, I think I, we just need to dig in later yeah. and, and let me tease those apart because <laughs> there's no general feelings about this one. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems pretty fair. Okay, well, um, before we get there, what you need to know. Babylon 5 is a space station in neutral territory. Originally run and staffed by Earth Force, the station recently declared independence from Earth and things are uncertain. Two of the more prominent races, the Narn and the Centauri, have been at war for a couple of centuries. Currently, the Centauri have occupied the Narn homeworld and are generally making things hell for the Narn. In this episode, Veer comes to Babylon 5 after delivering his latest report from Mimbar to the Emperor. Londo greets him with a surprise in the form of Lindesty, Veer's new fiancé, due to an arrangement between their families. What? 
While Veer tries to sort out a situation he didn't expect and isn't sure he wants, Anarn attacks him and Lindisty, claiming blood feud. However, the feud is against Lindisty's family because her father is leading efforts to, quote, pacify, unquote, the captive Narn on their homeworld through a ferocious eugenics program that eliminates Narns by the thousands. Veer is horrified to learn of Lindisty's psychopathic racism, a total 180 from his own views, as she offers the Narn's brother to Veer for a kill. During this time, Ivanova and Sheridan learn that Veer was using his position on Mimbar to funnel Narns away from the homeworld to safety. Londo has him demoted back to Babylon 5, and Lindisty's family delays the wedding, but Londo does not reveal exactly what happened to the Centauri government. This is nice for Ivanova, who takes over the process Veer was using so they can continue to help the Narn. She was losing sleep in stressful dreams because she felt unsure about her path in the new status quo of B5's independence. And Sheridan invites Delenn to dinner and attempts to make a popular Mimbari dish for her. What? And that is Sick Transit Veer. Uh, JMS's, yes, focus on Veer uh, as uh, the main character of the sto- of the plot line for this, um, and also having a little bit fun with his Latin, uh, thus passes uh, Veer, rather than Sick Transit Gloria, the original Latin. And I think the idea of this episode, I think, is really good. Um, it helps uh, continue the sort of breather we have for the moment after having such monumental shifts in the action and the status quo. Kind of like a late delivery from Avalon, this one sort of allows things to settle a little bit more before potentially the next big thing happens that Sheridan is so worried about, as he says in the episode. Um, yeah, well, mm. good intentions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The road to the road to this episode is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. Um I I I think Stephen First is great in it and I like how his character progresses in this episode. But JMS can be an extraordinarily funny writer. One of my favorite moments in comic books ever was when he was doing um, Amazing Spider-Man. And there's a plot line uh, connected to the uh, original comic book Civil War um, thread where Tony Stark gives Spider-Man a new uh, a new uh, Iron Spider type of suit. And Spider-Man's on the phone with him and Iron Man says, you know, it, and there are retractable arms in the, back of, in the backpack of the suit and you just have to think about them and they'll pop out. And the arms just immediately pop out. And in the next panel, there's just absolutely nothing in the room. And then you hear, then you see this little word balloon from the ceiling because that's where Spider-Man jumped because he was scared. (laughs) Funny stuff. JMS is a really, really funny writer. But when he sets out to write a funny episode, that is where I frequently feel the need to step off the train because... The Ivanova stuff at the beginning, um, well, the Ivanova stuff kind of throughout. There's some wit, there is some humor, but there's also some cringe. And the script is so broad in its humor. Wow, you, you're lucky that you didn't uh, dream that you were naked. Yeah, that you'd be in real trouble there. You know, the script is so broad in those instances, and 
this is not Mike Vihard directing. This is Jesus Trevino. And one of the qualities that Mike Vihard brings to this is he seems to work with the actors to get them and the script to really mesh and to deliver it all well and things like that. And that just didn't happen here. So huh. it feels almost like hacked out humor in this episode. And I think it detracts from some of the really interesting stuff that's going on with Veer. Yeah, I, I, I'll just I'll just give you the Stephen report up front. He okay. hated this episode <laughs> a lot. I can see that. When it was done, he was like, wait, which was the, the one that I didn't like the most before? The one with Londo's three wives? <laughs> this this one's worse. Um, okay. Yeah, just, he, he just didn't like it. He said it, it just this episode did not know what it wanted to be. Is it a goofy comedy? Genocide. Goofy comedy? Genocide. Exactly. Like he, he referred to this as a comedy remake of Schindler's List, which is not something you want to do. And I I have to agree with him. It was, uh, I think the, 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 I'm fine with comedy. I didn't even mind the Ivanova bits. It was a little bit, a little bit brought a little over the top, but I was kind of okay with that. But yeah, the whole idea that the specific plot line that's dealing with, you know, Narns being brutally murdered and all that kind of stuff is one that is, is so it's treated as so humorous. I mean, first you've got Londo chasing bugs around, which is, that was pretty awful. I have to say. Um, And then, yeah, Stephen first is great. And I love, I love that Veer gets to take center stage and we get to kind of learn more about his character and stuff, but I hate that it happens kind of with the, the trappings of all of this goofiness because I feel like his character deserves better than that. And then the idea that she's this horrible, awful, murderous murderer um, <laughs> at the end, and he's still thinking, oh, maybe it'll work out to be okay. Um, I, I just, yeah. it left me, it left oh, me feeling uncomfortable. I, I didn't think he felt that he, he was trying to say the right thing, but I, I don't think he believed it. No, no, no. He was, oh, he's he walking did. off saying that, you know, every relationship has its, you know, he, I, after she's gone. I thought he, that was him. Frankly, I thought he was being sarcastic there. But oh, no, I didn't I think, read that at all. Wow, yeah. that, that was my reading. But yeah, I I definitely had a different view of this from from you two. Um, I did not go in thinking that the episode was a comedy. I thought that you know the episode was an episode and a couple of subplots, one of which was had a lot of overlap with the main plot, were obvious comedic things. Veer trying to deal with. Um, with Ivanova and try to, you know, get some, and Ivanova's um, own deal with her dreams. And then uh, the Sheridan Delenn thing on its own, which was generally on its own oh, side yeah. street. But I didn't go in thinking of this as a comedic episode. It was more of just like an, an episode that fills us in on not just what's going on with the Centauri and the Nard, but just how bad it is um, and how bad it's gotten. I did love that it gave uh, Veer center stage. Uh, I thought Stephen First did some beautiful work with uh, much of what he had given to him, whether it was suddenly deciding, you know what, you know, and he just, you know, finally decides, you know, okay, and kisses uh, Linda Steed for the first time, just that intense look of like, you know what, I'm jumping in with both feet for a minute. And him trying to explain in, you know, in, in early Veer fashion, to Ivanova, um, what he's looking for in the way of advice. Uh, I thought 
Claudia Christian in return was overall really brilliant in, in that, that interaction. Yes, it was broad, but she was holding it up her end just as much as Stephen First was with his. I think for me, where the episode really bothers me is I just could not get a handle on Lindesty this time. Um, I don't remember what my impression was the very first time I watched the episode, but this time I'm watching and I'm watching her present herself as this naive, fluttery, ditzy, <laughs> rather overly romantic uh, girl determined to, you know, she she is totally a Centauri woman. She's going to take this marriage in both hands and make it work. Um, she is throwing herself at Veer. And when things flip and we learn what her attitudes and what her actions are toward the Narn, the fact that her personality doesn't really change, and yet the madness is clearly there, I just couldn't quite get a handle on the actress's presentation. And yeah. I think that's what really threw me more than anything else in, in that plot line. You know, I, I agree with you. I, I remember actually seeing it for the first time and mm -hmm. just thinking that the performance was... Like I, you, you say it exactly right. I couldn't get a handle on it. So the way that I have in the interim sort of headcanoned that away is that <laughs> is that the way that we are seeing this character act on the screen is not actually this character because we never see her in in any moment sort of by herself. I the way I t what I tell myself is that she is actually a pretty smart, shrewd cookie from Centauri Prime, and mm -hmm. she you know she's been put into this situation. She's marrying this guy, so this is the face that she is putting on for him. So it's actually like a play within a play almost. She's she's putting forth this face mm -hmm. because she needs to, you're, you are right, she needs to make this situation work. And, you know, it's it's all to the better for her status and her family status if she can, you know, do well as the wife of an ambassador to one of the most powerful planets in the in the galaxy. So so the the reason that, she, that the performance seems a little bit forced and not particularly naturalistic is because it is forced and not naturalistic naturalistic, even from the character within the show. And I, I don't think that there's any sort of madness going on. I don't think that the, she's psychopathic. I think that she just really, truly has these deeply held beliefs that Narns are not people. And I think that, you know, you can look around the world and see a lot of people who are, are not actually ill. They're just, uh, they they really believe these things, uh, which are, are awful. But I don't think you can chalk it up to mental illness, because that's a very different thing. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, the, the Schindler's List as a comedy is kind of that's that's kind of a stunning statement from Stephen, and yet you're and yet I think he's kind of right because Lindesay comes off as Mengele's daughter, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's really that it, it, she is really that awful. Um, I can't. I can't grant you. I can't share your head canon, Erica, on why she acts that way. <laughs> I know it's a stretch. It's it's such a stretch. I mean, I have to go doily and not Watsonian on this. Mm -hmm. And the character is simply badly miscast. Yeah, um, I, you know, was, I I agree. I'm just this is this was just me trying to make something better. It it, uh, it in can't. This, you, in you this can't, weird you can't, episode, you can't salvage it. Yeah, um, I think miscast that, may be part of it, and and still. <laughs> trying to figure out exactly I don't think we even have like a really full character to grasp um, mm -hmm. she 
because I mean, she comes in as someone who has been arranged in marriage to Veer. In the second half, um, she is shown to be like her father's daughter. I mean, my impression, rather than of somebody being like shrewd, is more somebody who's totally aware she's not even. No, that's not right either. <laughs> she feels like a puppet. Her father's puppet, you know, her father has raised her to this and she does what her father says. And now she's doing what her mother says in marrying Veer. And whatever her parents tell her to do, she's going to be the best at it. I, um, I can't even, I'm, I, you know, I, yeah. I think I think we've got I, I think we've got three different perspectives. And we're having <laughs> well, vivid three of us. We're having three. We're having I mean, we're very Minbari about office. Um, <laughs> we are. But. This character is is such a cipher, and we're sort of having these different arguments about her. But I, there, I don't think that there's any depth to Lindsay as a character whatsoever. She is, yeah, uh, she is evil. Mm-hmm. She is evil. Mm-hmm. She thinks that the Narn are worth killing. And she's not 100% believable to me either. Um, That one thing I did remember from seeing it previously and seeing it this time, the notion that she's been trained so well that she can, you know, lead a Narn into a trap and take him down single-handedly, I would have needed something else to support that besides one line in dialogue to convince me of that. It's it's that, that's it's, where it, the that's where it really went off the rails for me. It's a failing of the script and it's a failing of casting. Um, I thought that she was, I, I thought that she was a good actress. Um, it's just that she is not the good. She is not an actress that is well matched to this script, which it calls for some flowery language and some um, sledgehammer exposition about just what an awful person she is. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. delivering it ingenue style. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. But even then, I don't think that she's the biggest problem with this episode. Um, you know, going back, Shannon, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do disagree with you. I do think that this okay. was intended as a comedy. You don't have, you don't have Zach Allen showing up on the bridge for the express purpose of looking out into space and saying that it makes him feel naked under the <laughs> under the universe, <laughs> unless this episode is trying to be a funny one. And for well, the pl- that plot line is trying to be funny. I don't know that since it's not necessarily the a plot that the episode is, but yeah, I, I have no problem thinking that Ivanova's mini plot line, uh, Sheridan and the Delenn's mini plot line. Yeah, those are meant to. Those are totally meant as comedic. And, uh, but but also but, uh, but also the scene with Veer and Ivanova trying to um, you know yeah. talk about the facts of life the you know the best thing about that episode is when um, Ivanova clinches her hands at the end and then suddenly catches herself right. and having done oh, what yes. that is yes that, that that's hysterical <laughs> but other there is there is too much humor laid, ladled all over this episode for it not to have been an express effort to be funny you know from okay, from Ivanova, Ivanova with the salt shaker to everything else so Delenn. to Veer's reaction to finding out that he's going to be married I mean mm-hmm. that whole plot line it's 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 very farcical the you know oh my gosh I'm this shy person and now I have to now I have to have a wife and the way that it's treated I mean even in the direction is very and it, that might be part of the reason that she grates on us so much is that mm-hmm. it is it is played very much for laughs almost every scene between Lindy and and Veer you know as good as he is it's played it's played as as comedy that's, yeah. that's so, sort of how so, it's directed. So when we bring this all back full circle to your opening statement, Erica, so when we have 
Ivanova shocked at the thought that Veer has helped to kill 2,000 Narns. What is the reaction in the room? Londo says, well, that's a good start. And, yeah. and, and nobody else in the room is just aghast horrified. And in the end, Veer seems to believe that Lindesty can be rehabilitated. He seems to want to help her become a good person. And if this weren't a comedy, Veer would be running in the other direction so fast he'd left a Veer-shaped hole in the bulkhead. Well, no, actually, you know, I'm, I might take issue with that simply because, you know, we do have Veer developed as this character who is, you know, willing to see the best in people. And I mean, think mm-hmm. about all the crap okay, that's that Londo has done. So and, the idea, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with the idea that Veer would think that perhaps, you know, she could be rehabilitated or she could change. But they didn't... I don't think that, that they did enough to show that he was, how horrified he was by it. I don't think, mm-hmm. I think that, that the Veer, as he's been developed previously, would be much more upset by her actions and much less kind of tra-la-la about it at the end. And it was just framed within this. And I didn't, I didn't actually go into this episode expecting a comedy either, mostly because I didn't remember anything that happened in it. <laughs> Despite Veer's name in the title, I had forgotten. So, um, so yeah, it was just, you know, getting to the end of it and and finding that they were leaving it on this wah 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 sort of a sort of a, a tone that was what graded against me but it, despite all of that and all the negative things i've said I, I i certainly don't dislike this episode as much as it sounds like i do uh, I, i'm just finding a lot of things to to point out but as we go on and talk about some of the other stuff we'll find that there are bits that i love and i i like the ivanova stuff it's it's goofy but that scene between her and veer i thought i i, I do agree with you shannon that it was played as as well as you could play something like that and you know he's this he's this just adorable clueless guy and you know who's he only asks ever a, gotten to one <laughs> yeah, who asks ivanova of all people and you know we know how uh, how ivanova doesn't sort of like open up about relationships and all that right. kind of kind of stuff but of veer doesn't people. know that I, one of the i think the most interesting things about this whole episode is how it really illustrates for us that just because we know these characters very well these main characters they don't all know each other as well as we know them that's because good point. right because you get you get veer asking this question to ivana because she's a woman whereas if he had known her very well he would know that's not the kind of not the kind of thing you ask her and on the other hand when you get ivanova finding out that these 2000 narn had been killed if she knew Veer, she would never for a second believe that he had anything to do with that. And in fact, if she had you know, known him well enough, she probably wouldn't have talked to him about it in front of Londo, and he could have gone on <laughs> saving Narn no, but, for, for years to come. Yeah, but I think JMS makes a mention in his notes. Um, I don't remember if this was one of the editing mistakes. There were one or two, like um, they managed to edit out the line of dialogue that would have explained that Narn number two uh, was taken to med lab and recovered and you know at least was not killed um that's never Mm -hmm. clear in the episode as is um Mm. but um but yeah the idea that of course when ivanova finds out about this she uh, still sees veer as londo's subordinate and assumes that londo knows about this or should know about this um if he knows about it already she can confront him about it if he didn't know he needs to know that that's ivanova's way of thinking looking at the chain of command and like you Mm -hmm. said it's you know the character's don't all know each other as well as as we know them. Mm-hmm. 
And I, t- I forget that sometimes as a viewer. Like, I, right. I found myself right after that thinking, that's ridiculous. Veer would never do that. Why on earth are they confronting him in front of Londo? And then it took me a second to be like, oh, right. This is an actual world that has been created and sort of fleshed out. And these characters, you know, I, I think a lesser show might not have created drama in this particular way because sometimes I think writers forget little things like that but these characters are are definitely siloed when they need to be siloed and I, I kind of love that okay okay um can we think of anything else about sort of the, the sort of intertwined big pictures of of the Narn and Centauri issue and Veer's issue well can I we do- just say Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I see and that was one of the things that worked for me. I thought that yeah. was hilarious. That that seems uh, so veer. Oh, that seems so very veer. I no. No. <laughs> okay. No. I mean, I do like the fact that uh, there's no ambiguity when Ivanova sees that name. They're right. like, "What the hell? That's not a Centauri name, you know." Other than that, it's too cutesy for words. I mean, if it's does- so obviously not a Centauri name, then it's not a very good dis- it's not a very <laughs> well, good the, I guess alias, the question is, it? is is it not does Ivanova think it's not a Centauri name because she knows exactly what that name is? Would, would that, that have would that have flown under the radar for a Centauri? Exactly. Maybe. And and that it does make me a little bit annoyed at Ivanova again for, you know, for thinking that Veer would do all of this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, maybe Earth history isn't taught, you know, maybe U.S. Civil War history is not taught as rigorously uh, in the future mm-hmm. as it is now. But if she knows who a- Abraham Lincoln is and knows what he did, like yeah, emancipating the slaves, the idea that he would create that she a bureaucrat with that name, you'd yeah. think she might twig. That's true. Yeah. That's true. On the other hand, she's been losing sleep lately. This is true. <laughs> oh, um, one last point about the big, the big plot. Um, sure. What we lose in all of the comedy of this is how awful things are on Narn and for the Narn. True. Um, Stephen First does a very, very good job in both of his scenes where he's explaining what he's been doing uh, in round one when he's talking about. Um, getting the off Narn and, um, you know, he's just very sincere. And then when he's explaining that he was hiding them as casualties or mm-hmm. victims when, you know, he, in both of those scenes, he is such a fundamentally decent person. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, you, you, you feel good for him. You want to help him. You feel like he's, you feel like he's trying to do the right thing and it's an awful, awful situation. It is awful for the Narn, and the horror of the Narn situation is muted because of the comedy. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Even, even as Lindesty is describing how she and her father and their program is, you know, killing Narns by the thousands. Um, you've gotten so used to her lilting, flowery, girlish delivery that. It doesn't quite register mm-hmm. until you think about it, um, yeah. just how much damage she's she has helped to cause. Yeah. yeah. I think that there are worse episodes than this one. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I won't go as far as Stephen did in his condemnation of sick transit veer. <laughs> but the more we talk about it, I, the more I fall down on it's. 
there's some good stuff here, but it's not a good episode. Yeah, the more I thought about it, because I actually, I finished it kind of, you know, and I didn't have strong feelings one way or the other, you know, maybe a little bit kind of, mm-hmm. it, like I said, I felt uncomfortable with the way it was left with Veer and Linda Steve, but I didn't feel terribly negative about it until I started talking to Steven about it. And he sort of pointed out the things that he didn't like about it. And, and I was like, oh, right. That is that is mm-hmm. pretty bad. Although just to, to, to cap off the uh, the Stephen report, um, direction wise, you know, not with the, mm-hmm. the acting and stuff, but uh, but he actually he was impressed as I was uh, with a few of the shots and stuff. So this was not quite as uh, you know pedestrian in the way things were mm-hmm. visually framed as, as sometimes the episodes are. Um, you get a really that that really cool scene where Ivanova is sort of wandering from screen to screen in C&C um, because, you know, you've got it, all of this, the screens have the same um, the same thing on them. So she's just walking back and forth uh, mm-hmm. and, and the camera is following her along, which is really cool. And then there's also the, uh, the shot in Londo's quarters that actually starts from behind a glass where Londo is pouring, um, pouring liquid mm-hmm. into this glass. And then it kind of moves over to, to show Linda and, and Veer and, mm-hmm. and yeah. So, I mean, there's some, some neat stuff in there, but I think, I mean, maybe it was just too much of an uphill battle with with this particular script, but but yeah, the there's there's some pieces missing between the performances and the gravitas of of what's actually underlying all of the things that are happening here. Okay, yeah, uh, the director in this case was uh, Jesus Trevino, um, who we previously saw with Divided Loyalties, uh, Talia's Exit. Ah, right. That was his that was his first B five episode. This is his second. And somebody else that I think this is his second episode, just a quick shout out to uh, yes! Dam- Damien London uh, as the Centauri official that Veer talks to, hmm. um, that being his, his Twittery self again. That guy's just nuts. I love his delivery when he tells the joke and he starts laughing at his own joke and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Veer responds. And then as soon as his back's turns, like, oh, God, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and I love that. And the episode begins with uh, Veer just sort of feeling up the emperor's throne. Uh, you know, after <laughs> recent revelations, you'd think he, you know, he's 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 wondering what it would be like, isn't he? Hmm. That's oh, a good point. Right. I hadn't nice. even thought of that, but yeah, nice bit there. Yeah. Okay. Something I wanted to throw in. Uh, we mentioned, of course, Zach um, bringing to Ivanova's attention. Um, and we see again, uh, Chip mentioned last time how security has these new, you know, pseudo uniforms that are not the official Earth Force uniforms anymore, but they are all dressed similarly, um, showing that they're still all business. Um, and I was mistaken. I had described last episode how in the glimpses of CNC, we saw everybody sort of, you know, in different uniforms or different states of uniform. Mm -hmm. showing like maybe you know what they felt i was wrong um what has happened is everybody is in uh, a basic uh shirt and pant combo with a new design of a babylon 5 patch on the side to show that they are babylon 5 officials now rather than earth force officials Mm -hmm. so um that is what i was seeing and described badly the first time you know i wondered if those shirts are just the shirts that everybody wore underneath their jackets to begin with possibly just added patches (laughs) Yeah, that that's quite possible, but they are definitely no one is wearing the original Earth Force uniform anymore. Not Every, not one person. Yeah. Everything's different now. Hashtag B five exit. Oi, too soon, right. Chip. Too soon. <laughs> um, one thing that we we've mentioned a couple of times, but we haven't really talked about. Uh, Sheridan asks Delenn to dinner. 
and cooks for her and tries to cook Mimbari Flarn for her. Yeah. Um, yes, the, the little shipper heart in me is just totally squeeing about this um, all the way up to Ivanova interrupting them. Um, but uh, this was something that I thought that um, Bruce Boxleitner and Mira Furlan did a beautiful job of the um, – her misunderstanding because of language, what he means when he asks, says he wants to see her. <laughs> yes. um, and I then what she understood. Well, I don't know. I, at first, I don't. But when she catches on, mm-hmm. you know, she's very quick to catch on. And then she starts flirting slightly back at him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the dinner itself, as she, you know, Mambari don't lie except to save face. And she, you know, saves Sheridan's <laughs> honor by not telling him that he really needed to season the flarn. But it's it's just so cute. <laughs> it's it cute. Um, I think that uh, Mira Furlan does a better job than Bruce Boxleitner in this one. Just for me, he, he's just a little too aw shucks for my for my liking. But mm. but it's good. It's good stuff. We will have to agree to disagree there because I I just loved it. It wasn't. See, I didn't read it as aw shucks. I read mm-hmm. it as. Ernest. He just, he is so excited and they just sparkle when they are in the room with each other. And yes, mm-hmm. my little shipper heart was also going pitter pat, pitter pat. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the reason, th- these scenes are the reason that I didn't come out of this episode feeling completely negative about it because mm-hmm. I just thought they were so adorable. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what your station is. It doesn't matter how old you get. I mean, if, if you are the kind of person who is relaxed enough in their, their own personality to be able to to still get those flutters and, and you know, th- those those feelings of a new relationship, yeah, that's, that is what we saw there. That's what it feels like. And I mean, it, it, it was, you know, three, four years ago for me now when, uh, when Stephen and I first started courting. But, but I, it, you know, I, I still remember, and it, I feel like this is a, a perfect. So do all of, of your that. friends, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, in other words, Chip, we were the smart ones to get to know each other before we met everybody else. Uh, maybe, but we did our, we did our own fair share of alienating with our cuteness, as I recall. Yes. Um, but yeah, that, I think I do think that that uh, was uh, that is a fair representation of new relationship energy for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and it certainly seems to fit, you know, with the previous interactions that we've seen on screen with them at the end of Ceremonies of Light and Dark, when Sheridan just comes out and says. I've got basically I've got feelings for you. Um, So -hmm. this is the next step for him to try to find a chance for the two of them to have something which is essentially a date. You know, it may be just Mm -hmm. dinner in his quarters, but still he's he's gone to the effort of making everything. Um, I didn't get aw shucks as much as more like Erica, earnest and nervous because he has (laughs) he has said how he feels. And now he is trying his best to show how he feels having declared it. So that that's what I and got. And not mess it up. And not yep. mess it up. And I do also like the fact that he, you know, he lays it out pretty clearly. Like, things are a little bit quiet now, and that is not going to last. So I want mm-hmm. to, I, I, I want to do this now, which also kind of feeds into the the nervous thing, too. Like, he's he's not just saying, hey, we should spend some time together. He's trying to come up with a reason for it. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's making it clear that, you know, this makes sense. So you should, you should want to do it. It's just, oh, it's so adorable. I just love yep. it. Indeed. Is there anything else we want to mention before we move in through a jump gate? Can we say they almost kissed? <laughs> like, yes, they almost kissed. Ivanova, darn you. And Ivanova <sighs> saw it and reacted yes. to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Why did how did, is that how things usually work on Babylon Five? That the screen just pops on and they're suddenly looking into the private quarters of the captain. No. I feel like that was per. I think that was you know sort of along the comedy tip there. Yeah. Uh, possibly, possibly, yeah. Usually you get notified first. Um, I guess my head cannon would be this is the second in command trying to get to the um, to the captain um, ASAP. I don't know if she that means that she would have a more direct link or not. Um, mm-hmm. I would have to go back and sort of pay more attention to see whether this has been consistent or not. Um, I know that it's been done the other way in previous episodes. I don't know if it's been been done this way before. Yeah, I don't doubt her ability to do that. I just yeah. doubt whether she would unless there was truly an emergency, which this was not. No, that's true. Mm-hmm. I have nothing more to contribute to this conversation about sick transit veer other than. Oh, dear. Shaking my head. Okay. You can shake you your feeling, head. Like Steven said, he, he he thought it was just back to silly comedy Centauri, which, you know, really nerfed their, their thing. He's like, it feels like series season one again. You know, that's I, kind I, of I, fair, no, though, if you I think about it. I won't go that far because, because you've got the Centauri official saying a racist joke about Narn. You've got Centauri, r- reports of Centauri murdering Narn, committing genocide, uh, you know, all this other stuff. They're not back to comedy Centauri, but there's too much comedy in there. Well, I think the difference is most of the time that we have seen Centauri female, Centauri women featured prominently, there's an undercurrent of whether it's comedy or just the idea of women being weaker or love struck from Adira to Wando's three wives. Shoot, and now, of course, I've forgotten her name. Morella. Lady Morella is like the only example we have of a Centauri woman behaving in a consistently in a strong, steady leadership role. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah. That's a hugely good point. Um, It's as though JMS doesn't quite know what to do with Centauri female characters. It's like his... Well, his, talk- his 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 image of the Centauri Republic seems to be very gendered and antiquated. Yeah. yeah, we've talked before about how the Centauri compared to the other races, th- we see the gender disparity much more clearly with them, um, and it's sort of othered them as far as the rest of the galaxy, along with Londo's actions and getting into the shadows and all that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that maybe. Part of the problem is, um, you know, like for someone like Stephen, who's seeing this the first time around, is most of his examples of Centauri women are kind of laughable. So kind that may of. be part um, of it. And th- there, is de- there is no Centauri equivalent to Natoth or Dolin. There's nope. just not. True. You know, Lady Morella is the closest thing we've had. And, you know, we have only gotten her for, you know, one episode. Yep. Okay. Well, if we are done with... What we can say in front of our new watchers? <laughs> yep. Okay. Time to go away, Stephen. <laughs> but bye. first, but first, homework. Um, mm-hmm. Our next episode is Ship of Tears. Um, so we will be back into regular order, um, DVD order for a little while before jumping back onto the master list. And as always, everyone is welcome to join in the conversation. Uh, Please come visit our website at b5audioguide.com, where we kindly separate our chats into spoiler-free and spoiler-full so that everyone can find the one that pleases them. 
uh, and use the one that fits them. Uh, we also are on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide and welcome conversations there as well. And with that, we will step into a jump gate. Okay, and we're back. I don't think there's a huge amount of stuff as far as big picture that Thankfully. affects the future. <laughs> um, there are several little things that will show continuity for future episodes, but nothing major. Yeah, I don't actually have a single thing written down in my notes, um, <laughs> except the, I mean, the only thing that, that just jumps immediately to my mind is just, oh, my God, I forgot that they almost kissed in this episode. It's <laughs> happening, you guys. It's yes. starting. <laughs> yes, there's that. This is yeah, definitely the, the first. Yeah, like you said, the first attempt at a kiss between Sheridan and Delenn. And oh, my God, yay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, not that it'll um, it'll get delayed again and again. And God help us by Anna Sheridan coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Although well, I'm not going to complain. Melissa Gilbert did a great job playing. Yes. Her, yeah. But, mm -hmm. but that, um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I want to talk about how important to the future of the series Linda Stee is. <laughs> Once again. And and then that and here's and that's another symptom of the Centauri women issue we were talking about before. None of these women come back. We have not seen well, Adira. Adira comes back on uh, a cart. Yeah, in a, yeah, in a body bag. Um, yeah, we we don't see Adira again. We never see any of Londo's wives again. We don't see the first prophetess again. We don't see Lady Morella again, <laughs> and we don't see Lindesay again. She's not even mentioned ever that's again. True. So. Whatever happened to Veer getting married, um, it's not her. As <laughs> it far evaporates. As yep. Another thing is I'm not sure that we hear about the Narn Underground Railroad again, um, unless it's in passing. I'm not remembering anything specific about, um, yes, Ivanova sets up, the, it keeps the process and does what she needs to do to have it continue. But I'm not remembering whether that produces any intelligence from Narns coming from the home world or anything else that could be useful. Do you guys I, remember? I don't recall anything. Um, I, th I do think that this helps set the stage for And the Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place. True. Just, or, or it would have if the humor hadn't uh, distracted from it so much. But again, things are awful over there. And mm -hmm. to for Jakar to have the architect of it delivered to him with the promised additional collateral of uh, some uh, additional Narns being freed. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, this, the, the, this sort of, this sort of sets that up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I think what it also sets up um, is even though we don't get the message very strongly in this episode, as we should, um, the fact that Narns are being wiped out by the thousands mm -hmm. is one thing that supports Jakar's decision when the time comes to work with Londo to follow his plan to attempt to assassinate Cartagia. Because in return, Londo will make sure that the Centauri withdraw from Narn. Yeah. So we, we see that there is a, a basis for Jakar to deal with the devil. Yeah. It's but again, and beating, beating a dead horse here, but <laughs> mm -hmm. for it to be that stark and it, for it to be ignored for the sake of the lightness, the general lightness of the episode is just mm -hmm. frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I um, beat my head against the uh, pop filter on my microphone, but that would make an annoying noise. And <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. 
something that I noticed when I was digging through uh, the International Movie Database, um, getting in more information on uh, the guest stars, uh, the fact that our, cent- our Twittery Centauri official, who we will finally learn his name a couple of episodes from now, is Verini, um, who was originally in his first episode a Centauri senator. And in this credit, he's an insar- a Centauri official, even though Veer refers to him as minister. And then for the next three or four episodes, he is minister. And then finally, he is regent. So his progression will go as he continues to pop up. I can't um, believe this is only the second time this guy's shown up. According I wanted to the to, credits. I wanted to burble more about him before the jump gate. but <laughs> I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> but he's delightful. He's nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he's not he's not as nuts here as he gets later, which is good because I, I feel like well, all the later he, that he goes heart, through is yeah. what makes him so so oh, yeah. wacky. Yeah, well, I mean, he Londo Londo suggests that he should be the regent and he gets all twittery and he talks about ooh pastels and all that stuff. <laughs> and then you slap a keeper on him. Yep. And wow. Yep. Indeed. Yeah, the, 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 he is one of the best surprises in terms of casting and, um, you know, just adding a lot to the show. Mm-hmm. He and William Forward both are just A-plus Centauri. Oh, yeah. yeah, and you have to give credit where it's due for them to, you know, that they, they make good use of those characters. They don't mm-hmm. overdo it, but they bring them back enough that uh, that it's it's nice. I mean, I think that... You know, we we complain sometimes about some of the guest actors, and with with good reason. But it seems like when they're really bad, they don't bring them back again and again. So I think we've been lucky in that the most of the repeat ones like this have been fairly solid. Agreed. Um, the only other thing I can think of, um, and this may have been okay to mention pre spoiler, um, but the idea that if the Centauri have ambassadors on Minbar, that the Minbari are strong enough as a society to convince them and to convince individual Centauri that their way is the better way. Because apparently the last uh, Centauri ambassador to Mimbar, <laughs> as Londo puts it, went native. Um, yes. Nice so, touch. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines on the Lurker's Guide of all time is uh, somebody asked JMS online, what happened to the previous liaison? JMS responds, went native. Bought into the whole Minbari theological system, dropped his Centauri citizenship, was last heard of in a distant retreat trying to grow a bone. <laughs> <laughs> but of all things, that also made me think of um, Sinclair going to Minbar and being so integrated into the current society to become Ranger One. And you know what? There's a reason he can integrate so well, because he goes back a thousand years and creates the society that exists. If um, you go to Minbar, you will get boned. <laughs> okay. <sighs> but anyway, that was something that clicked with me, um, thinking about episodes that are coming up. And oh, my God. Uh, yeah, this was I, I didn't want to say too much in pre-spoiler space about it, but th- this is kind of like the last um, quiet episode for a while. Uh, we get Bester next episode, Ship of Tears, uh, learning about how the telepaths and the shadows work together or don't work together. Um, and then it's um, interludes and examinations and Kosh goes bye bye. Uh <laughs> 
and uh, walkabout with Stephen. And then we get War Without End, the other half of our Babylon 5, Babylon 4 story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, it's just the roller coaster just keeps going up until the um, Sheridan has to go back to Zahadum. I see you're tactfully ignoring the existence of grade 19 is missing. 17. Grade, grade 17 is missing. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yes. <laughs> yes, but the rest of it pretty much... It's. I am betting. I am betting large sums of money that Stephen will have a new least favorite. <laughs> I don't know. I think this offended him on such a deep level. I don't think anything else is going to come uh, come in that low. I mean, I'm not a fan of Grey Seventeen is missing either, and I don't think Stephen will be. But I don't think that it's offensive in the same way that this episode is. Okay. Yeah. Well, if there's anything else. That we can think of to mention while it's mm-hmm. safe to do so? I think, no, I, I'm good. I'm ready to mm-hmm. get myself in a telepathic mindset. Here, <laughs> <laughs> here. Okay. Then, uh, as always, we are very thankful to everyone who is listening to our episodes and following us as we go through this rewatch. Again, uh, you can find more episodes of the podcast as well as the discussion threads helpfully divided into spoiler-free and spoilery on b5audioguide.com and Twitter and Tumblr, b5audioguide. For the next episode, please watch Ship of Tears before you listen. And until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Babylon 5.